Those get me every time. Good morning, everyone. My name is Raf. I am associate pastor here at Relentless. For those who I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, I'm excited to be here with you all today. We are, we are wrapping up a series that we've been in the last couple of weeks called Back to the Table. Uh, if, if you haven't been with us, or again, if you're new or a guest with us, um, I'll tell you this, really, this has just been an excuse for me to be able to talk about food for three weeks, which is like one of my favorite, favorite things to do, okay? Food is uh, my love language, okay? Really, I don't know if it's not one of the official love languages, but it, it is definitely my love language. It's been like that since, since I was a kid. Uh, one of my family's favorite stories to tell is, uh, so my, you know, my parents got divorced when I was younger, and I'm blessed to be able to have two, two moms, uh, my, my birth mom and my, my stepmom, who uh, are both amazing cooks, and I have great relationships with both of them. But my stepmom always tells the story, the first time uh, we went to her house for dinner, right? She, uh, it was kind of like a Brady Bunch style thing. Me and my older sister, my dad, uh, met her, and they started dating, and it was time for the kids to meet, and so she invited us over their house for dinner, and uh, she had three kids, and so we, we sat down. We're sitting at the table, and 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 she said, I picked up my fork and I took a bite of my food, and I looked at my dad. I had a huge smile on my face, and I go, Dad, she could cook. <laughs> she could cook. And it was like at that moment, it was like the seal of approval. She was like, I got him. I know I got him, and she was right, you know. But that was the beginning of a of a, of a beautiful a beautiful thing, a relationship with us together, but also to food. She's one of the people who taught me how to cook, and and one of the ways that that I now like to. Um, show love uh, to, to my parents, um, I mean, my family, my kids, my loved ones, is, is to prepare a meal for them and, and watch them and enjoy it. And so again, food is my love language. And, and the reason I, I want to share that is because I'm becoming more and more convinced with every day that passes, with every year, that it's one of God's love languages as well. Okay, I talked about a couple weeks ago uh, when you just think about your five senses that God gave us, right, and how you how you engage them when you eat. I just want to return to that for a second and just talk about taste again. Okay, did you know that the average human being has ten thousand taste buds? Ten thousand taste buds. I can't think of any good reason for that other than the fact that God is good and He loves us. Okay, I'm serious. Just think about it. It didn't have to be that way, right? God didn't have to make us capable of experiencing such pleasure and delight every time you bite into your favorite food. Right? My son asked me the other day, Dad, if you can only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Tacos, hands down. I was like, tacos, because there's so much variety in tacos. You can have breakfast tacos, you can have them for lunch, you can have them for dinner. You can uh, have vegetarian tacos, you can put meat in there. There's crunchy, there's soft. You can have flour tortillas, you can have corn tortillas, homemade fresh pressed corn tortillas that are still warm with the, come on, man. Salsa, you put a little hint of lime and you get that acid in there and the cheese. I could go on and on, but when you bite into a taco and it tastes so delicious, that could taste like cardboard if a guy wanted to. But no, he said, I'm going to make it delicious because I love them. I love them, right? Every one of them is a display of his grace and an expression of his love. In case you can't tell, I love food, y'all. I love to eat. Guess what? So did Jesus. So did Jesus. I was reading through the Gospels, and we were leading up to Easter. As a church, we did a, um, a reading plan to kind of read through the Gospels and kind of prepare our stuff for, for, for the season. And, and I could not help but notice 10 times in the book of Luke alone, Jesus gathered at the table with different groups of people and, and shared a meal, okay? As a matter of fact, three times after the resurrection, three times that we know about, right, that at least three that were recorded in scripture, Jesus, who, who again, 
died on the cross, right? Took, took the, the pain and the penalty for all of our sins. This is the gospel, the incredible news of our, of, our, of our rescue, our adoption and rescue by God through Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross. He, he dies. He's buried in the tomb. He's resurrected three days later, and he comes back, and he, and he shows up to the disciples, okay? They don't recognize him at first until he does what? He sits down and shares a meal with them. It says he broke the, he, he, first of all, he, he met a couple, it was uh, the, the, the road to Emmaus. He met uh, Cleopas and another, another follower, another disciple. They were walking, you know, all upset, obviously, because of what just happened. And, and Jesus shows up and it says they don't recognize him, but he starts talking to them about, about the Bible and he opens up the word to them. And then they invite him home for dinner and they sit down and eat. When Jesus breaks the bread and blesses it, they realize it's him. Right? And then there's another instance where he shows up to the disciples and, and they're freaked out and they're scared. And is it a ghost or what's going on? They have no idea. And Jesus is like, y'all got some fish? I'm hungry. And they sit down and says they recognize him instantly, almost as if they, don't, they didn't even know it was Jesus until Jesus sat down and did what they usually do together. Just sit down and, and eat and share a meal, right? Man, there was another time when he calls the, the, uh, the, the disciples, they're out fishing. Again, they think Jesus is dead. They, they, they're, they're, they, they think it's all lost. And, 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 and he sees them on the boat and calls them over. And they show up. And he's got a fire going. And he's already cooked them breakfast, OK? And then that's when he sends Peter to go back out and feed his sheep and reinstates him and says, hey, this is, what, this is what we're about. But every time, right, it revolves around food. And so again, what we've been talking about these past few weeks is, is the power of what can happen at the table. And how Jesus instituted this practice of tabling, okay? Here's how we define tabling. The act of investing relationally with one another over a meal, okay? And this was a central part of Jesus' life and his ministry and, and, and what he modeled for us. So we've been talking about the power of community and the fact that if we want to be the church God is calling us to be, then we need to, we need to become, tabling has to become a lifestyle for us, that we need to step into that. Because the table's where we connect the table is where we identify. The table is where we learn to grow in our empathy and, and, and our compassion for one another. The table is where relationships are formed, where they're strengthened, where they're tested over time. Okay? And this all comes directly from Jesus. Directly from Jesus. Tabling is essential to following Jesus. It's essential to following Jesus because it connects us to Jesus and it connects us to one another. Okay? And as we look at the life of Jesus as recorded in Scripture... And we see who he really was. You can't help but notice that he spent a lot of time around the dinner table, okay? In fact, many of his most powerful messages and, and frequently quoted stories happen while sharing a meal with others at a table, okay? Not only that, but the company Jesus kept around the table was incredibly diverse, right? It was the people that he identified with, the people that he associated himself with. He shared meals with outcasts and sinners, he spent time with the self-righteous. He had dinner with Pharisees and the religious elite. He cared for people who had broken every rule and were seen as, as unclean. He dined at the tables of the wealthy whose riches were won with lies and corruption, okay? Many of whom uh, actually gave up those comfortable lifestyles to, to follow him. He crossed racial boundaries, much to the, to the shock of many around him. He invited women to the table. Jesus invited everyone to the table. And make no mistake, it was, it was radical. It was radical at the time, so much so that, that the Pharisees and religious leaders began to whisper behind his back. They called him a friend of sinners, and they meant it as an insult. And Jesus put it up, picked it up and put it on like a badge of honor. He said, yeah, I'm proud. He was proud to be a friend to everyone. In fact, in and through him, he says, we become family. And, and what do friends and family do? They eat dinner together at the, at the table 
They share in each other's lives. Strangers eating together and becoming friends. Brothers and sisters investing relationally with one another over a meal. What a simple concept. What a simple concept. And yet somehow, I'm convinced, right? I can't help but wonder what would happen if the church recommitted ourselves to this way of life. Could it turn our own modern world upside down, much the way Jesus turned his around 2,000 years ago? That's why I believe tabling is essential, right? Again, when I say essential, I mean it's not an option. It's, 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 it's absolutely necessary. It is a crucial aspect of what it means to truly follow Jesus. Why? Again, because it connects us to him and it connects us to one another. Okay, Jesus said in the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says everything else, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Love God and love others. He says that's the most important thing you can do. And, and, and not only does loving God affect how we love others, but loving others affects how we love God. That's the genius of what, what Jesus was implying with the greatest command. Your relationship with God and your relationship with others is intricately, intricately connected. I think oftentimes we miss that connection. I think we miss the, the, the link between loving others and our own practical spiritual development, our own, our own spiritual growth, relationship with, with God. Okay, here's, here's a point I think Jesus was making. If we learn to love and serve others well, our faith will grow. It will continue to move in a, in a positive direction. It will increase. But if we don't, our faith will become stale. It will become shallow and superficial. Most people would define their faith as, as what we believe, right? But I think Jesus would say, ultimately, your faith and your future will be determined by how well you love and serve one another. That's why we repeatedly find Jesus at the table, investing relationally with others over a meal. It's the same reason Jesus seemed to love parties so much, as we talked about last week. If you missed that, you should check it out online, okay? Because Jesus loved people. So he led the way in celebrating and serving and enjoying others in a way that always added value to life. So that's, that's what we've been talking about in this series, right? Again, tabling is the act of investing relationally with one another over a meal. Okay, last week we defined party, okay? Here's what, what it meant for Jesus to party. A party is a, any effort to celebrate, serve, or enjoy each other in a way that adds value to life, okay? Now, why should we do it? First and foremost, simply because that's what Jesus did, right? Because that's the model that Jesus gave us to build relationships. It's literally how he did it, how he first uh, identified and connected with and, 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 and grew to love his disciples, his, his initial followers. Okay, tabling is essential to following Jesus because it connects us to him and it connects us to one another. And as followers of Jesus, if we don't occasionally slow down, okay, to start a few parties, or make room at our own tables, or find another table to join in on, we might end up just going through the motions of being Christian without ever really truly figuring out what it means to follow Jesus. Okay, I'm talking about, you know, check the box type of Christianity. I don't know if I'm the only one. I find myself there sometimes where, yeah, you wake up in the morning, maybe you open up the Bible app, and, and you read the verse of the day, and you say a quick prayer, and then it's off to the races, right? And it's um, all of a sudden, um, I, I can't remember when the last time it was I checked in with Jesus, but I read the word, and I said my prayer, so I did what I was supposed to do, right? It, it's, it's, it's more, it's transactional faith, right, but not transformational. It's not the real faith. It's not the real life that Jesus promised that he, that he, that he came to give us, 
right? I don't know about you all, but I, I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss out on the promise that Jesus gave us in, in John chapter 10 when he said, the thief only comes to steal, king, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, right? He's, I think he's saying, hey, there is, there, there's life that the world thinks is life, and there's life the way that I define it, the way the kingdom of God defines it, and the enemy would love nothing more. It says steal, kill, and destroy. Often ways the way he'll do that is just by distracting you, just leaving you to your own devices, just letting you just have, do whatever you want with, the, with, the, with the, everything that the world has to offer as long as you're missing out on what Jesus says it's really all about. He says, I came to give life, true life, abundant life, life that, that's marked by deeper connections and richer experiences, and again, a much bigger God than you've ever dreamed of. Life the way God intended it to be. And so last week, we, we, we kind of ended with the declaration that if we, if we commit to this lifestyle of tabling and, and becoming party starters, not only will it have a powerful effect on our faith and our influence, but God's table will, will continue to grow. And, and so hopefully you're with me to this point. If you were here the last couple weeks, hopefully you're like, yes, I'm in. I want to do that. But the question becomes how, right? What's that, what's that, what's that look like, right? In other words, what, what would it mean? What would it look like for us to step into this way of life? How do we, how do we start the party? Okay, and that's what I want to spend the rest of our time with talking about today. Um, I got three ways that I'm saying, three ways that we can start the party. This, this list could be a whole lot longer, but these are the three things that, that we're going to focus on today. Number one, invite someone new to the table. Invite someone new to the table. Now, let me clarify. By someone new, I don't just mean someone you don't know, but I mean someone who's not like you. Okay, not just someone you don't know, but someone who's, who's, who's not like you. By, by table, by now you guys know when I say table, I don't mean the boardroom table, I mean the dinner table, right? I mean the lunch table, I mean the party table, I mean where you gather with friends and family to enjoy and spend time together, right? You want a bigger faith? Do you want to remind yourself that God is bigger than your experiences, your story, your own personal background, your past, your neighborhood, your job, your race, your family history? Invite someone new to the table. Invite someone who's not like you to the, to the table. Too often, we make the mistake of thinking that God shares our point of view. But whenever any, any issue, any belief, any idea becomes the face of someone you actually care about, your perspective radically changes. And suddenly, our differences aren't problems, okay, but opportunities. If you invite someone new to the table, you'll become more compassionate, more, more empathetic, more loving, and you'll gain a better understanding of how big our God really is, okay? Because when you invite someone new to the table, not only do you learn something new about them, you almost always learn something new about God. Here's what I know. The more fascinated you become in the differences in God's people, the more fascinated you become in God. I, um, my, this is a little bit of my own personal experience. I grew up in, in Boston, so I was about 29 years old. Um, and then, uh, Long story short, I met a girl, <laughs> we got engaged, decided to get married, and her family was from Kentucky, my wife Misty, and uh, we moved to Kentucky. I agreed, I still don't know why, God, I, it's because of God apparently, but I agreed to move from Boston to Kentucky, and I always joke around and tell people, it was like the, I mean, it's true, but it was the biggest culture shock like I've ever experienced in my entire life. It was, it was crazy, right? Sometimes I tell people, I did, we lived there for seven years. I caught myself, I don't say this anymore, but I caught myself saying, I did seven years in Kentucky, like I did time. <laughs> Like, it's crazy. And please hear me. I, that's not my heart, okay? Because the truth is, what I came to say is I, I realize now, looking back, I didn't at the time, but how much God needed me to get out of my own um, 
you know, life, world, everything I knew, and dropped me into something completely different in order to have his way for me, with me, and open up my eyes and my heart to who he really is and who his, his people are. Because I was ignorant, y'all. I had, a, I had a whole lot of preconceived notions and ideas and thoughts and beliefs based on where I was from and how I grew up that were not necessarily true, right? Some, some were, but even the reasons why they were true, God enlightened me too, right? And so it was at the table with people who were nothing like me. I think of my, my, my buddy Alex, who's one of my good friends, man. He, you could not meet two more opposite people. <laughs> he, this, this guy, he looks like the Marlboro Man. Anytime you see he's going to have a, a cowboy hat and cowboy boots and some Wrangler jeans, and he grew up on a farm, and he's a cattle guy, and he's got the, I can't even do it. He's got the, the, the deepest, most southern, slowest drawl you'll ever ever here, okay? Just an amazing, amazing guy. We could not disagree more on pretty much most things about life. <laughs> but man, it was, it was sitting down and having some, some of his mom's uh, pecan pie and a cup of coffee and just digging into the word and building relationships that we became, man, so the, the, the closest of, of friends to the point where I, I spoke at his wedding. And you know what I learned, right? It's like, you know, Southern hospitality. You think, from, I'll speak for myself, coming from up north, man, everything's slower down there. They move so slow. They talk so slow. All this stuff. You know what I realized? It's not because they're somehow uh, uh, um, less intelligent or less motivated. It, it's it's for, for a lot of the people, it's my experience that I met, it's because they have just as much going on as you do, only it's worth it to them. They communicate to you with their time that they want that, that, that you matter, that this conversation matters, that this moment we're in is important to, to, to them because it's important to God. And so they communicate that with the way that they live their life, right? My friend Alex, again, I grew up in skyscrapers and buildings and, you know, barely see a patch of grass. This, this guy has a love for the land and a connection to, to, to the land and to, to, to animals. And like, I learned that from him, right? When I grew up, um, please don't hear anything political. I'm just, just, I'm just talking, okay? Grace in this room. But where I grew up, okay, the only people who had guns were criminals and cops, okay? Alex got a rifle passed down to him from his dad, from his grandfather, from his, so it's a whole different culture and it means a whole different thing. So when we sit down and talk about those issues, right, it means different. But when I just read about it or watch it on the news, it's a total different thing. But when we sit at the table and we get in each other's lives, now I have a deeper, a better understanding, right? Because I, I, I was at the table with somebody new. Y'all, y'all know what I'm saying? Take the time to invite someone new, someone who's not like you, to the table, and God will show up there. He will show up. You'll get a better idea how big he really is. Invite someone new. That's number one. Number two, discover life together. Discover life together. You weren't meant to do this life alone, okay? This, is, this one's a little bit obvious. It's what we've been talking about, right? It's, it's intentional community. But there is a difference between owning your faith and doing faith alone. Okay, and if you don't have people you trust in your life, not only uh, will you make some ridiculous decisions along the way, but you're, you're missing out on the power of how God shows up in community, okay, which is one of the most beautiful aspects of our faith. This is, this is one reason why we need the church, y'all. We really do. We need, we need a circle of people. You need a circle of people in your life who believe in God and believe in you. That's, that's one of my biggest prayers for my kids, for every child, every student at Relentless Church. <laughs> I pray, God, please put people in their lives who love Jesus and love them. Because it's so necessary. It's so necessary. 
And we know that life is hard, right? And it gets complicated. But real learning comes when I listen to you and you listen to me and we discover things together from our different perspectives and experiences, right? And so that only happens when we do life together. That doesn't mean that you're always going to agree with everyone, okay? But just in the, in the mere fact of, of being willing to have that open dialogue, to sit down under the table and have those conversations, okay, we both get to better answers and we get closer to God as a result. And so my question is, who are those people for you, right? You need to know who they are, be able to identify them, and, and do not do life without them. Then ask yourself, man, am I, <laughs> who would put me on that list for them? Who am I showing up for? Who, 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 who do I encourage so that they don't have to do this life alone? You might be here and say, man, I don't, <laughs> I feel like I'm not doing that well, or I don't have that, or I want that, right? This is why we're talking about this. This is where this series came from. This is why we started a tabling initiative, okay? Which, um, again, if you haven't heard of that, we, we are doing as a church, um, for the month of June, July, and August, we've picked a week where different people in our, in our church, throughout the community, different homes, uh, are going to be hosting people in their home to build relationships, to get to know one another, to, to do exactly what we've been, we've been talking about. And so if you haven't jumped in on that, you still have a chance. Uh, relentlesschurch.cc is our website. If you go to the What's Happening page, uh, you can find out more about tabling, and you can see the list of tables. Some of them have filled up. Some of them still have space, okay? And so um, they start on Monday, our first table starts Monday. And so uh, I, I do want to say um, we're going we're gonna to close registration just to honor the, uh, the hosts and, and their preparation and make sure that they know who's coming and when and all that stuff. So I'm going to say after church, I might go take a nap, get up around, say, 4 o'clock this afternoon. Right? I just made that decision. It's going to shut down. Okay, No more registration just for the June tables. And then once those go through, we're, we're doing it again in July and we're doing it again in August. But if you're considering it, if you're on the fence, I encourage you, step out of your comfort zone and do that. If this one doesn't work for you, again, we're doing it again in July and August. It doesn't have to be an official relentless table. Reach out to a neighbor, reach out to a friend, someone you serve with, someone who lives across the street, someone who, who your kids go to the same class, whatever it is. But, but, but do this. Step out in faith and, and try to do life with, with some other believers, okay? We got some stuff coming up in the fall. We're going to do small groups. Again, I keep saying that because I'm excited to get back to it, for us to get back into each other's lives in a more regular way, to get in each other's homes. We want tabling to be a part of that. We want relationships to, to grow. So listen, this is not something we always do perfectly as a church for facilitating relationships, but it's something we know is vitally important. It's crucial. And so we're committed to it. I'm here to help you. If you're here at Relentless Church and saying, hey, we, I want to be in relationship with some other people and try to figure this thing out, we'll figure it out together. Okay. Raf at relentlesschurch.cc. Let's do it together. Okay. But do not, do not do this life alone. We must discover life together. Okay. Number three, do something you don't have to do. Do something you don't have to do. Now, this principle shows us a secret that every, every good parent, leader, or volunteer probably already knows. Sometimes you don't do something because you feel like it. You do something in order to feel like it. Okay? So, sometimes the, the, the feelings follow the, the action, right? Um, and the reason is because if, 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 if you only do what you have to do, you will always be limited in what you do. But it's the stuff that you don't have to do that ultimately changes your faith. Okay, maybe, maybe that's what Jesus meant when he suggested to a, to a group of people in Matthew chapter 5. 
in verse 41. This is um, in the Sermon of the Mount, okay, which is this amazing sermon that Jesus preached. All that there's so much good stuff in there, it's so packed, it's unbelievable. Uh, I can't imagine what it would be like to, to sit there and hear these words come out of Jesus' mouth, but I just want to focus in on one line, verse 41. Jesus says, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, this sounds a little bit weird, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us in our context, but in the context of Jesus' time and day, okay, in the context of, of the Roman law that was imposed upon the Jewish people 2,000 years ago, this was a bold challenge, okay? The Jews resented and hated the, the Romans because of their oppression, because of the Roman Empire's heavy-handed taxes and laws, okay? And one of those laws specifically stated that, that anyone who was 12 years old or older had to carry a, a Roman soldier's gear for a mile if they were asked, okay? This was, this was a law, okay? And so it was in light of that law that Jesus taught this principle about going the, the second mile, all right, so I just want you to picture this for a second. All right, go there with me in your heads. All right, I want you to imagine a teenage boy in ancient Jerusalem, right? 13-year-old Jewish boy. He's going through his daily routine. All right, maybe mom sends him to the market to go get some bread for breakfast that morning. He, he picks it up. He's kind of skipping along, going back, about to make his way back home, walking through the market. He stops. His eyes, he catches a, a Roman soldier just getting off his horse. And instantly he's like backtracking, like, I hope he didn't see me, right? And, but sure enough, their eyes meet, okay? And, and, the, and the soldier kind of waves him over. The boy's like, man, so he kind of comes over and, and the soldier's like, okay, proceeds to unload all of his gear and his equipment and put it in the boy's hands. And the boy knows, all right, man, I'm in, this is it. This is the law, I have to do this. For the next mile, I gotta carry this guy's stuff, right? And so they proceed the long walk through town, okay? Now, let's pretend this same boy was, was at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus preaches this message and says, if anyone forces you to go with them one mile, then go two miles, okay? And so as he's traveling this mile, carrying this heavy equipment with this Roman soldier who he hates, right? It's going over in his head over and over again. Man, why would Jesus say that? I don't want to carry this guy's stuff. I don't like him. He doesn't like me. This stuff is heavy. I don't understand why I have to do this at all. Why would Jesus say, go an extra mile, right? It doesn't make sense to him, but, it, but he can't shake it. It's bugging him. The whole time he's walking, it's going over in his head. What Jesus said, don't just go one mile, go two miles. Before he realizes it, they've reached the end of the first mile. The soldier stops, gets off his horse, reaches to gather his stuff, but the, but the boy um, just has a look in his face. And he's thinking to himself, man, what would happen? What would happen if I just step out in faith and do what Jesus was telling me to do? And so he, he gets the courage and he speaks up, clears his throat, says to the soldier, I'd be happy to carry your gear for another mile if you'd like. What do you think would happen next? What do you think would happen next? I imagine that something would fundamentally change with that first step on that second mile. When, when this Roman soldier, maybe, maybe he's curious, maybe that piques his interest. He's like, why would this boy, he didn't, I know he had to do the first mile because that's the law. Why would he offer to carry my stuff a second mile? That doesn't make sense, right? Maybe, just maybe that sparks conversation. And they start talking about each other's stories. Maybe they get to know each other a little bit better. Maybe they talk about their ideas, their experiences, okay? Maybe they connected on a whole nother level. Maybe, just maybe, this young Jewish teenager and this Roman soldier began to see each other on that second mile instead of as enemies, as people, as human beings. 
Don't miss this. The first mile fulfilled an obligation. The second mile changed the nature of their relationship. I think that's what Jesus was getting at. That one step across from mile one to mile two changes everything. It changes everything. Jesus knew that. Jesus understood, okay, that if he could lead his followers to take one step across that line, it would introduce them to a whole other kind of life. Jesus knew that as soon as someone stepped over the line from mile one to mile two, everything would change because that's when you step into a different kind of faith, right? A different kind of belief, another, another level of trust. On the mile two side of the line, God gets bigger. Life gets better, fuller. Relationships get deeper on the mile two side of the line. But as long as we stay on the mile one side, we'll never even know what we missed, right? We'll never even know. There's a party going on and we don't even know it. But yet we wonder sometimes, right? We wonder, why, why are we not more motivated? Why am I not more passionate about my faith, in my relationships, about this, about this life? And we have no idea that it's connected to just one step, one step over the line from mile one to mile two. And so here's my question. What have you done lately that you didn't have to do? What have you done lately that you did not have to do? I know firsthand, okay, how easy it is to go through the motions and get really, really busy with all the things that you have to do, okay? I know what that's like. And how, how what you have to do can always become your best excuse for, for not doing what you don't have to do. But I, I just, I think there's power in doing what we don't have to do. I, uh, my wife and I have this ongoing discussion. It's not really an argument, just kind of a debate <laughs> where uh, she, she volunteers. This is going to sound bad. It's not it's on my end. <laughs> She volunteers all the time at our kids' school, right? Which is great, right? That's not a bad thing. What are you talking about, Raph, okay? The problem is my wife is so busy, and I'm so busy, and sometimes it seems like we have competing schedules, and we're running around with, like, chickens with our heads cut off, and, like, I can't even, all the responsibilities and things we have to do, I can't even keep straight in my mind and on the calendar. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it wasn't on the calendar, and, and she had never communicated to me, oh, I got to go to the kid's school because I signed up to do this. And it's, like, all the time, like, why? You, you don't have time to volunteer at the kid's school. Like, why are you doing this, right? And she's like, it's important. It's, it means a lot to the kids, and they need it. And so we had that conversation, right? And she's right, and I'm wrong. I'll just say that, okay? But we got an email, right, from the school. This is a couple weeks ago. Man, we need volunteers. It was like this big push. We need as many parents as we can to volunteer. We got this huge event going on at the school. Um, I forget what they called it, but it's basically like uh, they had food trucks and games and all this stuff, like kind of like a festival at the kids' school. And they're like, in order to make this happen, if every parent would just volunteer to sign up for like one shift, right? It's a couple-hour event. Come do 30, 40 minutes and then go enjoy the event with your family. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to volunteer. I didn't even tell my wife. I signed up. I took a shift. I'm going to man the, the field games, you know? So, like, all right, we go to the event, and, uh, and, and you know, we get, kids, get the kids set up with some food, and they're playing some games, and, um, you know, my wife's like, you want to go over to the petting zoo, you know, take Nina to the petting? I'm like, no, I can't. I got to go volunteer. She's like, what do you, what? I'm like, yeah, I signed up. I'm going to go do my shift. I'll see you in 40 minutes. And so I go over to the field games, and sure enough, there's a, the lady running it was one of the teachers. Her name's Miss Jackson. She's my kid's science teacher. She's also, like, the lady who does the, um, the carpool. Like, she's got the walkie-talkie and does the numbers, and, like, she runs the thing. 
So, so I'm talking to Miss Jackson, and you know, it's the first time we actually get to know each other a little bit. She's asking me about my kids and my family and just all these great things to say. And so I'm finding out a little bit about her story and uh, find out she's like running the, the garden. They have a big garden where like they got the kids planting vegetables and they're growing stuff and teaching them as they do that. And that whole program she's really excited about. And there's this big pile of mulch. And she's like, yeah, I'm trying to get a team together and spread this mulch. And we want to kind of beautify the property and really take pride in the, in, in the place. And so that the community knows, you know, the kids, when they see school they can be proud of that whole deal like I'm like yeah I'm with that that sounds cool like that's awesome so we're having this great conversation right and it's just I don't know man it's interesting to me that 30 40 minutes just sir I wasn't even doing anything right talking to Miss Jackson and making sure these boys didn't throw balls at each other's faces right like that's it but it changed my aspect just stepping out of my everyday world and into another world that's not completely different from my but how it changed the way I see life right and 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 and, and love it, it just it has an effect because you know what now I used to go to carpool and I have my window up, I have my AC bus, and I'm listening to a podcast. And I would just smile and wave to Miss Jackson. But now we have a relationship. And so now I come up to carpool and I roll down the window. I'm like, hey, Miss Jackson. She's like, hey. And I'm invested. I want to know, did the, did the plants grow? Are the kids going to be able to harvest the vegetables because there's only a week left of school? Right? I want to know. I, I care. Did we spread the, did you get a team to spread the mulch? Right? Like I'm in, I'm invested. It's interesting to me that all of a sudden I'm concerned about things I didn't care about a month ago. Because I did something I didn't have to do. This happens every time I, I serve at With Love from Jesus. Okay, that's one of our partners here right down the road, an amazing ministry. Sometimes I go there dragging my feet. I don't have the time. I'm busy. And then I have a conversation with some lady. She asked me to pray for her, and I gave her a crock pot, and it was the greatest thing that ever happened, and it was a miracle of God according to her. And I'm like, that's been sitting in my basement for months. But it's just he shows up in this moment, and I'm like, man, God wants to bless you if you just step out, do something you don't have to do, right? Man, Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. In other words, when you invest in someone, your heart will follow. Don't confuse the order, right? Don't, don't wait until your heart changes to make that investment. Invest in someone so that your heart will change. <laughs> Do you want your heart to change about somebody you dislike? Serve them when you don't have to serve them. Does it bother you that, that somewhere along the line you stopped caring, right? And you just, you want to care again, do something you don't have to do. Of course, you don't, you don't have to go the extra mile. No one will judge you if you don't. You don't have to become a foster parent. You don't have to lead a small group of middle schoolers. You don't have to pause what you're doing to stop and, and, and look eye to eye and pay attention to a child and give them the time of day. You don't, you don't have to buy someone else's meal. You don't have to ask your waiter his name. You don't have to help out at your local school. You don't have to speak out against an injustice. You don't have to forgive that friend who offended you. You don't, you don't have to do life with anyone who's different than you. You don't have to go make that hospital visit. You don't have to give anything away. You don't have to invest in anyone else's success. In fact, I would argue in many ways, your life will probably be, e be easier if you don't. But if you do, it will change you. If you do, it will change you. If you do, it will, you will feel, you will begin to feel something deeper. 
If you do, you will, you will tap into something sacred that you never even knew existed. You didn't know it was in there. If you do, you will experience love in a radical new way. Jesus is inviting us to start the party, y'all, to be part of an adventure, to walk the extra mile and do something you don't have to do so that we can experience life in a, in a new way, the way that he intended it, the way it was supposed to be. I believe there's a party happening, and I don't want the people that I care about to miss it. I don't want my family, my friends, my kids, and my church family, I want them to know that the legacy of our faith is that we follow a God who likes to party. I want them to be the kind of people who know how to host a table that reflects the, 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 the character of our God, a, a God who extends his invitation to everyone, who, who, who expects us to celebrate the, the, the diversity and the variety in his world. A God who delights in watching his children enjoy doing what he has created them to do. Man, a God who, who wants them to experience the rush that comes with truly loving others. I want them to realize that this faith is less about what God is against and more about what God is for. And to wake up every morning believing that God is for us having a full life, an abundant life. Here's, here's the bottom line. I really believe this. Everything you dream, hope, and pray is linked to how well you love and serve other people. Your potential to encounter real love, to build relationships, to develop empathy and feel joy, no purpose, to choose wisely and, and embrace hope and experience genuine faith and connection to God is tied, directly tied to what you do for others, how you love them. And again, I know this is counterintuitive. It's not really the way the world works, but Jesus said, if you really wanna live, you have to learn how to live for someone other than yourself. And so that's, that's the invitation today. Let's do that. Let's step into that, church. Let's start the party, amen? Again, there's lots of ways we can do that. We wanna help you facilitate that. We wanna partner and do it together. Um, do something you don't have to do. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for this church. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for sending your son Jesus, Lord, to die for us so that we could truly live. God, I pray that we would start doing that today. <laughs> God, that that life you promised in John chapter, chapter 10, full life, abundant life, God, would just become so real for us that would step into it, God. Help us to step out of our comfort zones, God. Embolden us by the power of your spirit to invite someone new to the table, God, to, 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 to step out of uh, our comfort zones and, and start doing life together, God. God, help us to do something we don't have to do. Thank you that that's what you did when you sent Jesus to the cross on our behalf. Thank you that you loved us so much in order to do that. God, we love you and we need you. Help us be who you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a reminder, y'all, um, Sunday, today, 4 o'clock is the last chance to sign up for the June round of tables. Again, you can do that on the What's Happening page. Um, and, and please come back next week. We're starting a new series called Loving the Long Shot, and we'd love to see you here. All right, have a great week. Thank y'all.